Hi, my name's Jack, and I'm an alcoholic. Jack. Oh, I gave this some thought, and I'm actually going to I have no idea what I'm going to say. This journey wasn't uh, wasn't an easy one. Uh, I came from a small town. It started out, the family was very dysfunctional. Mother, father, brother, uh, family relations, the whole nine yards. Um, I was sitting there thinking about one of the things is like I remember being a little kid and the family functions, the whatever you call them, when families get together, reunions, everybody was drinking. And by the end of the day, they're all fighting and arguing amongst each other. You know, and I remember uh, my dad saying, well, we're not going to go no more. And I'm like, well, that's fine with me. And that was the craziness of alcohol that ran through my family. And um, at, a, at a young age, I remember it was a coal mining town, ore mining town. And if anybody knows anything about mining towns, when you're done working, you get drunk. That's what you do. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what everybody did. There was a bar in every corner in my town just about. And uh, I learned how to make drinks early before I even picked up the first drink. I I learned how to make my mom's uh, Windsor and water at a young age. (laughs) So the introduction to alcohol prior to taking a drink, you know, was quite substantial. I mean, it was everywhere in my life. I used to run away sometimes just to grab my best friend and go into the woods and, and, and disappear so I had some sanity from it all. And uh, But anyhow, my story is two parts. You know, I, I didn't like alcohol. I didn't like what it did. I didn't like the people that it, and what it did to them. So my first part of my life, starting with nine years old, I was a doper. I got stoned, I, and I later graduated to, you know, speed, LSD. I called myself a garbage head. If you told me it got me high, I took it. <laughs> and I did that all the way through my high, uh, high school years. I tried drinking, just couldn't taste it, didn't like the taste of beer. And the hard stuff definitely turned me away after seeing my mom and dad and stuff. But then I went, I remember last year of school is when the thinking was changing. And I got in trouble with the law. And it was over uh, drug issues. You know, I was in a car when drugs were being sold and blah, 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 blah. And I was... And two people were hospitalized. And I remember having to get this attorney, which my father had to pay for and stuff. And I was just, and I remember just turned 18. And I remember, I'll never forget the words from this judge. Going, 
if I ever see you in my courtroom again for any such offense, I'm going to put you away for a very long time. You'll be gray-haired when you come out. I never went back to that courtroom after that. And that's when I think that the thinking changed. That's when alcohol came into play. Because at that point in time, I realized I got to change my tactics to forget things. And that was, and so when we graduated school, we all went down to uh, Rehoboth Beach in New Jersey. That's what you did, everybody graduated. And we, my first drunk lasted seven days, continuous. I knew I was in trouble when I switched addictions. I, 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 I can't stress enough on like, I'm like, oh, I'm so in trouble. We went through 15 cases of beer, eight bottles, and an ounce of pot and a whole bunch of hash and all kinds of other stuff, all in one week's time, me and four other people. And I thought to myself, oh, and I was already getting thoughts and like, oh, I'm probably not going to live too much longer in life. You know, my life is going to be probably pretty short living like this. But then, you know, at 19, which was a blessing, it slowed me down a little, but never stopped me. I got responsible, like everybody did back then, all the men. You know, I, I took a job in a fertilizer place and right out of school and, and stayed there until I <coughs> moved here to Arizona. I stayed there 26 years for that place. I was a diehard uh, worker for them. But I drank and did all my stuff. Got married. Had two kids back to back. I'm like 22 years old and two kids in diapers. I'm like, why me? And I'm like, well, why not me? Because I put myself in this spot. <laughs> and... Uh, it was all right for a while. There were times where I can say drinking was fun. It was enjoying. You know, we used to go to these bluegrass festivals, and it was nice. And when everyone else went to sleep is when me, I took it to the extreme. I didn't want to stop. And I seen that right away from the word get-go, right out of the gate with drinking, I never stopped until I was broke or it was all gone. Uh, I used to do some pretty disgusting things, like sometimes at parties. Run around and empty all the half glasses into one or two. Like, I thought it was a crime to waste it. <laughs> but anyhow, you know, I drank It made my marriage dysfunctional. And by 1987, it was pretty well on the rocks, pretty well gone. I was doing my thing, she was doing her thing, and we were parents, that's it. And in 1988, I left, willingly. I thought my kids have a better chance in life 
without me there. And that's... And in 1989, I got... Uh, 1988, I got the divorce. And... Um, then all hell broke loose. And then, uh, but there was a significant thing that really made me go deep end and like have the attitude of, pardon the expression, but pistol in the world. I was right around 19. My dad passed away at a young man at 48. But he had ill health issues from the mines and he died of an aneurysm and went in a coma. I was the last one to talk to him. And in my rudeness and in my drinking and my partying, he was, I was the last one with him as far as a family member. And I sat there and um, said some pretty harsh words to him. I looked at him and said, why don't you do me a favor, old man, and just die. He picked up his new car, came home, and my mom was in the living room, and he fell over into a coma. And that just excelled my drinking because I thought my words caused that to happen. I know today it didn't, but back then I thought my rudeness and my, my, and my drinking and everything, it caused it. And uh, that fueled it. And, and I just kind of... You know, I, I went rampant, and then somewhere in my late 20s, you know, I was like, I wrecked three cars in that time, totally demolished them, and walked away from them. I never even had a seatbelt on either. I mean, that's amazing. And not even, uh, what I realized was, and not about before quitting, the first attempt of quitting was 1984. I did it to keep the employer off my ass, the wife, my mom, and everybody. Well, I was miserable for that year, but I put on a fake smile, you know, and I did give AA the, the chance. I, I sat there and hung with them, played cards with them, went to diners with them, but I did learn one thing, they planted the seed. And I knew that if I ever take this serious, I can get sober in AA. But I didn't want to take it seriously. And it was like about a year after being in the program, right around 19, it was right around spring of 1985, we got to arguing and my ex-wife is now the ex-wife. She validated my bullshit. She sat there and said, I liked you better drunk. I grabbed my flannel shirt, and I just got, just got a year's coin, like a week before that. So I went out and got drunk to celebrate getting a year. And I stayed out for three days because she validated my bullshit. And that just, that was it. But it never stopped me from going back to meetings. Every now and then I would walk into a meeting when I went back out for that, for that time. Uh, I would walk in and go, it looks like you have something to say. And I'm like, yeah, 
I'm drunk. I'm Jack. I'm an active drunk. You don't want to be like me. It's no fun. <laughs> and they all would laugh, you know. And and then somewhere, like, I, I just got tired of it. Then the employer was really on my ass. I thought I was for sure I was going to lose my job because I expired all my, all my outs. And... Um, and I was getting these crazy ideas, like, my kids would be better without me. The whole world would be better without me. So I thought, ah, okay. You know, maybe I'll just fall asleep one day drinking. And I flipped over to the hard stuff. Granddad and Bacardi 151 became my main source of drunk. And it was with me all the time. And... uh and I thought, well, maybe I'll do like them. I heard so many stories. I'll lay on my back and I'll choke on my puke. And that's one way to leave this world. And that's, that was my thinking. You know, that's where alcohol took me. You know, and uh, I remember sitting there thinking like, you know what, screw this. I know a better way. I'll do the coward's way. I remember getting my shotgun and just putting the shell in. Chambered it, slipped it underneath my pillow in my room. I lived in my mom's house. I couldn't even afford to live on my own and, uh, for a long while. And uh, I thought, let's go out for one more blast. You know, I'm going to lose my job anyhow, so I might as well just check out. And on, I remember on the way home, the meeting house was a half a block from my house. And I always used to go by and wave. I knew the people and stuff. And that one night, it was a Sunday night, I remember um, walking by. And I was a half a block from that shotgun. And I turned in to Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And it was April 10th, 1989. And I remember sitting in there. I had this weird look. Like they said I had this weird look. Like, you know, someone would be at their, like, rope there, end of the rope or whatever. And they said, you all right? And I'm like, no. And I said, I got one thing to ask you. You all talk about this God of your understanding. And he's all that great and powerful. I said, let him help me now because I'm more than willing to listen. And that was the start of my journey. Within six hours, I was in detox. And I did a 28-day program. And I was in that facility two weeks before I broke and actually started telling them some truth. They were ready to kick me out if I didn't. Uh, participate and it took an incident with my dad that's why my dad was significant we were doing this little thing like role playing and I remember I picked this guy he reminded me kind of my dad and put a cup in his hand and they said what was the worst, one of the most irritating things and I said when he called me boy And this guy started calling me boy, and I'm just, and I was like, 
I was either going to fight or flight, you know, at that moment. And I just screamed and hollered and let loose. And I remember breaking that anger bat, that Pataka bat. I snapped the bat. I was that angry with my father because... And then I realized we treated each other so bad. It was impossible for us to have a relationship in this world. And he was the cornerstone to everything. And I remember crying, rolling in a ball crying, and then, uh, then I started doing the work. And one of the things I did when I came home from that 28-day treatment was my contact person. I said, I want to do one thing first. I said, let's go to the cemetery. And I never went to the cemetery ever. I had to try to find the best of my ability. I found it after about a 15-minute search. My father's tombstone, and I sat there in the dirt, and I says, I'm sorry for all the harshness I gave you. You didn't deserve that, and I know you're only doing your best. And I believe that was my freedom that, uh, that made the difference to uh, where I'm at today. And uh, I got a sponsor, by the way. Everything you tell me, everything I heard, got a sponsor. Come early. Come to the meeting before the meeting. Go to the meeting after the meeting, meaning their local restaurant, where I picked up a couple pounds by eating so much junk. <laughs> but, <that's, laughs> but I learned a lot at those meetings, after the meetings. And then we were close. And I say right around year uh, four or so, and I started doing the steps and writing and writing. And I remember I'm like calling up my sponsor back there, Drew, going, Drew, my fourth, my fourth step is 28 pages. When do I stop? <laughs> Because I'm thinking all this stuff, you know, the stealing as a kid and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, it's too overwhelming. You know, I wasn't your typical quiet kid from 13 to 18. I ran in a reign of terror as a juvenile. I'm so surprised today that I can say it's one of those nevers. I was never in a twenty. I was never in a twenty-four hour holding tank, and I never did time in jail. And I don't know how I avoided that mm -hmm. to this day. And I really believe, if I ever went back to drinking, that is probably one never that would happen. And that would is to be incarcerated. I had a brother that was in federal <coughs> prison for bank robbery and all kinds of other stuff. And when I used to go see him, I cringed hearing them prison doors go shut as we were walking through to the visiting center and stuff. It, I, I thought, no, 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 I never want to be here. And I think I learned. I'm a, I'm a people watcher, so I learned from him of what not to do. 
and how to be a little smarter about it when I drank and tried to get away with stuff. So it's like those people accepted me. And I remember they were driving me down. I'm bouncing around. And I remember driving them driving me down 422 going to Wernersville back there. And, and this guy is like so happy-go-lucky, like I seen people smiling in AA. And I was so pissed off because I knew where I was going. And I tried upsetting this guy and these two other people, especially the driver. I tried upsetting him, calling him names and everything in the book so he would sit there and pull over and say, get out of my car, because that's what I wanted. He didn't. He just smiled at me and said, you'll be okay. And I wanted to hit him for that, saying that to me, because he wouldn't do what I wanted him to do. So this program is, uh, step one was pretty easy. My life was very unmanageable. I knew it early in life. And I knew I, I was powerless over alcohol and drugs. Everything I ever did as a direct result of it. And uh, step two was the hardest part. And someone back there sat there and said, break it down. Break step two down. And they said, how's that? And I'm like, I said, how's that? And they told me, first you come, you show up. You come too. Let the fog lift a little bit. You come to believe. And for a long, probably for the first two years, my group back there was my higher power. Anybody that had more time than me and smiling and having a good day, I wanted to know how they did it. You know, they were my higher power. And then, then, I, then eventually my thinking changed of the God of my understanding. Today I know there is a God, a good God. And, and for me, I do believe that is Jesus. And I know that one day because of what I did, and through all that, I will have a very healthy relationship with my father someday in another world. You know, that's my belief. And uh, that's how I got step two. I had to take it word for word. It was the only way I could understand it. Because altogether, it intimidated me, and made the hair stand up in my back of my neck. And then they said, pray in step three. Pray that you don't take a drink in a day. Pray that you do the next right thing. And, you know, pray that you can make it for 24 hours. And that's how I used to do it. And, and then they said, well, what happens if you get mad at something? And they said, well, pray for that person, place, or thing. And then, I'm not one for quoting a book, but it's in the book. It's that paragraph. It's in the resentment. So it's like you pray for that person, place, or thing for 30 days, for two weeks, it says in there. And, and if you do that after two weeks, you'll come, to, you'll come to realize you're not that angry with it no more. 
because you prayed about it. And I had to do that a lot, you know, because I, I, I held resentments very hard. And uh, I still can today. But I know what to do today. Today I have tools. And, uh, and Drew's told me that. He opened it up and he goes, here, I want you to read this every day. Yes, Drew. And if I'd be jammed up about something, I called them up already. And, and I said, I'm going nuts. And I'm like, I can't handle this day. And he goes, did you drink today? No. Did you go up to meeting? Yeah. But then he had a good day. He just totally de- knew how to defuse me. And this man was so patient. And, uh, you know, my whole time back in uh, Pennsylvania, he was like my anchor, you know. I mean, he always knew how to say the right thing. And he said it the gentle way, which was amazing. You know, he didn't yell at me. And back there with that group, we used to go to Akron. We were talking about this, you know, several times. I remember it, like, out of this whole time of 25 years in sobriety, probably 17 of them, every, every June, we were at Akron at a hotel from Thursday night all the way to, like, Sunday morning. Go to the campus for the meetings, do things, the dances, meeting people from around the world, you know, learning about the program. Uh, that's really where I took it to heart. You know, I would, like, go to these meetings, and they would, like, just talk about step one or step two or step five, or, and they would break it down into details. And it's just a really neat event. And then the main event, it's like, and Alcoholics Anonymous, they say we're, we are people, if it wouldn't be for this program, we are people who would not mix in the real world. And I remember at the main meeting at, in Founders Day, there was over 15,000 people in that building. And I'm thinking, if you put alcohol in that building, there'd be a lot of blood. They would not mix and everybody's smiling. And that's the direct result of a God of my understanding, which I choose to call God today, and Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, that was just over... I took it to heart, this program. You know, and still today I do. You know, I, I try to do good. When I feel resentful, I try to do something positive. It don't always work. Sometimes I hold on to that resentment for a while, and I'm guilty of that big time. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous showed me how to get along with the human race, which was impossible for me. When I was an active drinker and drugger, if you went in one of those little corner bar rooms in those towns, in any given little town, 
and you look in the corner and you see a guy sitting in the corner in the table, that was me. It was like, leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered with you. You know, George, George Thurgood said it best, I drink alone. And I, mean, I used to like that song. The only one that would hang out with me is my dear old granddad. And, and some days that was true. Because other drunks did not want to get in my vehicle. I used to drink and drive all the time. I broke many laws. Uh, I used to take my truck and go out to the mountains. And, and I, other drunks were terrified to get in my vehicle with me. And that was weird to have another drunk be scared to get in the vehicle with me. <laughs> You know, and uh, through the program and the people in it, I've learned uh, to uh, be a good father. I was a good father then. But I became a better father. You know, uh, that was the hardest part. Like, if there's only one person, there's only two people that I really wanted to express and show through actions that I was a different person and that they can trust me and love me. And that was my son and my daughter. And I did. You know, I got the full honors of uh, my daughter became a mother as a teenager. And... uh, I was there. My work insurance paid for my first grandchild. And I was the first one to hold him. You know, that was pretty cool. And uh, I got to see the other ones. And I have four grandchildren today that sit there and call me up and tell me, Pop, Pop, I love you. And that's a direct result. Of Alcoholics Anonymous and its program. I don't, I just did the walking through it. The program did the rest. Through actions, they seen a different person. And I think if I can, you know, it's like I drank and did drugs for 18 years. And I'm sober 25 years. I'm not just even, I'm seven years up on it. I'm seven years older. They say when you start drinking and drugging, you stop growing. I often heard that. And I really believe that. You know, mentally, physically, morally, whatever. You just stop growing. But back to the night of when I asked that question, what, that dropped me to my knees was I was mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, financially. I was bankrupt. I was living in my old bedroom and could not put two dimes together. I was bumming for money so I can get drink. So I can drink. I was bumming, you know, and I had a full-time job. 
Got paid on Thursday, but by Monday or Tuesday, I was broke. 700 bucks gone, quick. I knew how to spend the money and put the booze away. And that's when it was cheap. When beer was three drafts for a dollar. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of money. I remember in treatment, they gave us this test. And um, they said, some can do it, some that do your best Billy. And they said, do a math. I'm basically trying to remember how much you spent on drugs, how much you spent in alcohol, estimated, you know, in your time frame over, over the years. And, and it was, and then we added it up, and it was like, it was probably estimated, I probably did a good quarter million dollars worth of drugs. And alcohol in 18 years. Because whenever I got a paycheck, I made, you know, good money. But, you know, I paid my support and everything else and did responsible thing. But anything left, it went to alcohol. And that's how I lived. You know, and uh, my brother, that was a good teacher for me in the early years uh, he wrecked himself through this disease and, and and he was a key point out here like I remember coming out here in June of 2009 and I'm here five days I get a phone call my brother was in a nursing home at 54 years old body ravished. He needed full medical care. And he finally went into his seventh diabetic coma and as a direct result of kidney failure and stuff like that. And he died as a direct result of this disease, of what this disease can do. 54 years old. I'm one year older now. And I tried getting him to meeting. I let him live with me thinking I can get into his head. And I tried, and it just didn't work. He didn't grasp it. He was one of those ones that they, we speak about in the preamble. He was constitutionally incapable, incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. He could not get it or he did not want it. Where I wanted it, and I, I got it. Some way, shape, or form, I got it. A little bit slowly, but I believe what happened in that first initial night was the experience experience. It was the flash. I knew then I was done drinking. And it was weird. The guy that became my sponsor was one of them that went down to the house. And I said, oh, you need to go upstairs. And underneath the pillow, there's a shotgun with a shell in it. I was a half a block away from, from checking out and missing out on a lot of good things. You know, my kids graduating. Uh, 
my son graduating college, the birth of my grandkids, and my life today, like living out here where I am and, and, and having the things I have beyond my wildest dreams. And I think if I continue to stay at this like I am, that uh, who knows what surprises are going to be there, you know. You know, what kind of things. And, and I believe I was, I was spared the despair of death to pass the message on, to let somebody know that is struggling, like it is possible if you just one foot in front of the other and listen. Take the cotton out of the mouth and listen and get a sponsor and do the steps and get a God of your understanding. You can have sobriety all you want and listen. And I believe that's the trick. You know, it's what I do now. And that's why I guess I, I sit there and say, I often sit there and think, I can start my day over if I get too frustrated. I can step back and start my day over. I have choices today, something I never had before when I was drinking. I have choices today. And I give it all. I give thanks. I'm going to close and say I give thanks to all those who showed me how to make this possible. For taking the time to answer my questions and for being there when I needed you the most. So, that's it. Thanks.